everybody. Welcome to the Gospel Changes Everything podcast, where we discuss all the things from marriage, parenting, theology, and those everyday struggles, even the cultural hot topics from a biblical perspective. Our hope is that you will be equipped and encouraged to understand how the gospel truly transforms the way we think, what we love, and how we live. This is your host, Alicia Illian. Today, uh, I would love to take a few minutes. Um, Actually, it's going to be longer than that, so hang with me. But um, I would like to take some time here to talk about the difference between secular ideas, secular answers to the racism problem um, and why those answers are not biblical answers and ultimately will not provide a uh, lasting solution to unity and peace. And frankly, uh, a lot of times these frameworks are not meant to. So uh, I hope that this will be a time that maybe will be uh, an equipping opportunity for you. Um, And uh, there's going to be some terms that we explain that I'm going to attempt to explain and define for you so that your head doesn't spin um, when you hear certain things. So to begin, why is this conversation necessary? Well, this would seem like a no-brainer, right? Uh, our society is familiar with un- the uncomfortable tension and unrest caused by racial issues and division. Uh, From the beginning, our world has been marked by the effects of the fall of pervasive evil and the struggle of sin. And this year, 2020, 2021, has proved no different. In fact, these problems have become more pronounced and more pressing, Uh, you know, from the rioting that's happened in the streets in 2020, some of the um, horrific some of the horrific situations um, like Floyd and uh, some of the killings that have happened. uh, We have felt that tension. We have felt that frustration um, in our, in our hearts and it has caused a whole, a whole bunch of unrest, I think. And as believers, um, we understand that this is not of God. We understand that we want to do something. We want to have compassion And although we may not believe that racism directly affects our everyday lives or our circle of friends, um, the problem is real. And um, I think we can all agree that the implications have been subtly infiltrating um, our our culture, definitely um, infiltrating major systems of influence, uh, government, academia, and even within the four walls of our local churches. Um, So the impact has been widespread, far-reaching, and frankly impossible to ignore and unwise to dismiss. So there is a real problem happening um, with real uh, implications. So just off the bat, what is racism? I think it's important that we define um, our terms. Racism is the belief that a particular race or ethnicity is superior to another. Um, it is the sin of pride and the result of prejudice. And we know as Christians that sin um, is a spiritual problem. At its root, uh, racism is a spiritual problem needing a spiritual solution. So, um, yes, culture is addressing racism, but they are addressing it, uh, this problem of uh, racism with an anti-racism strategy, um, methods that aim to promote, um, in my opinion, and I believe this to be true, a much bigger and different agenda than merely just to reconcile Uh, people of different ethnicities and skin colors. So um, I think it's important that we affirm and believe that racism is a sin. 
because it is, and it is a problem and it is a, a devastating problem in many people's lives, but only the gospel, only the gospel offers an answer to the spiritual problem of sin. Correct. The result of which we know is lasting peace, true justice and unified oneness, which as Christians, that is the ultimate goal. Um, it's also important, important that we take into consideration second Corinthians 10, five, which says we are to destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. Okay. So if there are any solutions, arguments, frameworks, worldviews that set themselves up against or raise themselves up against, or in addition to, or in place of the knowledge of God through the gospel, we should be careful and take those thoughts, take those things captive to obey Christ first and foremost. So we have to know the word of God. We should understand the gospel. Um, biblical literacy is a really important thing because if we don't know scripture, if we don't know the truth of his word, how can we align anything that we hear, any system, any framework, any answer, the world's answers to Christ to see if it is actually indeed something that we should embrace? So as Christians, we are absolutely called absolutely called to faithfully love others, to condemn sin and fight for justice. That is a no brainer. <laughs> um, and so we know that and we feel it in our hearts as Christians because the heart and character of God is always just and it is perfectly righteous. So, and we know he places value on the poor and the oppressed, um, those who know they are sinners in need of a savior. Uh, he, his, his heart is always to seek the welfare of those who are marginalized for all people, but he does have, uh, his eye out on those, um, who are poor and undervalued, uh, because he cares and we should do the same. We should strive to help to live out the love of Christ in a very, in very physical and tangible way. So not just by words, but indeed in practice as well, because we are the extension of the compassion of Christ in the hands and feet of our savior. And so we want to do this. Well, we, of course, as Christ followers, as Christians, we want to be compassionate for those who have been affected by the sin of racism. But the critical question remains, okay, how do we do that? Okay, so we're getting all these messages and solutions. We're hearing it from our pastors, from influencers on social media. We're reading it in best-selling books. And our grandma, Dorothy, <laughs> right? Um, everybody's got an opinion. Everybody's got a solution and answer. Um, and some of these things may be right and helpful, but how do we discern? And most importantly, how do we know what is biblical? Okay, so uh, that's to answer that question, we first must understand what solutions are out there, what is being taught, what is being promoted by our culture and in these resources, in these books, by these influencers, and then align it with scripture to see where or where it does not um, accomplish the mission of biblical justice and unity. Um, through the gospel and through Christ. Only then can we discover and discern how biblical wisdom differs um, and the real key to lasting unity and peace. Okay, so um, first off, the world's answer and why it's unbiblical. So um, when it comes to fighting racism, um, you may have read you may have read or at least seen, <laughs> glanced at, or um, are acquainted with some popular anti-racist resources that are readily available. And I say that because they have been in the New York Times bestselling list for over 40 weeks. So it's out there, it's being promoted, um, it's being consumed. And one of them is a book called How to Be an Anti-Racist um, by Ibram ex-Kindy and White Fragility by Robin D'Angelo. Okay, so 
Uh, I actually heard this the other day. I thought it was interesting. Kindy's book has now been dubbed the new holy book of culture. Interesting. This is a book that is being embraced by so many people as uh, the anti-racist answer to everything that's happening. Um, And even in the Christian subculture, I would say, uh, you know, people are reading these things and they're trying to implement it. And there's Christian voices like Jamar Tisby, who just recently re- released his second book, How to Fight Racism. Um, he has some strategies that he's listed out on specific things that we can do. Latasha Morrison, Be the Bridge, another very popular resource in ministry. Um, both of them have very genuine hearts, I believe, for healing and for reconciliation. Um, And these highly influential authors and leaders, um, they do, they point to the problem of racism, but they offer a variety of solutions, um, some which uh, are, I believe, probably biblical and some that are dangerously unbiblical answers that um, really do line up with what is known um, as critical race theory. Okay, so I know you probably are like, okay, I want to I want to gloss over this now and turn it off. This is too heady. It's too academic. It really doesn't matter. But I believe that if you can just take a few minutes to bear with me and learn a little bit about what critical race theory is, you're going to understand that although you may not um, have heard or understood the term or it feels like um, it's too much, too weighty. It does have implications and it's, it's theories, it's, it's, um, it's answers are actually being infiltrated into some of these anti-racist um, approaches that are very accessible and very uh, popular right now, even in the Christian subculture. So critical race theory, uh, it, by definition, let's just start there. Critical race theory, CRT is the modern approach and framework being used for social change that developed out of critical theory and Marxism. You know, Karl Marx in the 1930s, it attempts to understand and formulate answers to social problems through the lens of power structures. Okay, so it is an answer to what they consider to be racism which is one aspect of it, but through the lens of power structures. Um, it is not only, it has not only become a popular framework, but honestly, it is being adopted as an entire worldview. That's really important to understand. And this worldview, in a sense, is a new religion. This is not just a few tactical ways to reconcile with your other brothers and sisters in Christ who look different or have a different skin color. This is a worldview to adopt. I think that's really important to understand. And so although you may not have heard of critical race theory, there is a good chance that you ran across the term white privilege white fragility, racism, and intersectionality. These are common and popular terms that have spun out of CRT. Okay, so it is not wise just to dismiss CRT as just this academic thing. Now, there are two responses to CRT, two responses to critical race theory and the anti-racism movement. And the first one is denialism. Um, Denialism is just uh, people that want to easily dismiss CRT, like I said, as purely academic, wanting to avoid um, a way to avoid the sin problem of racism and prejudice. So they're just saying, um, this isn't really a problem. You guys are just raising the red flag and not wanting to deal with racism. Um, And so you just immediately say CRT (laughs) and that's wrong and that's not compassionate and that's a problem. But on the other side, the other unhelpful response is alarmism. So alarmist, they failed to see that there's any injustice that needs dealt with, that there's any sinful prejudice that exists. And they believe that all claims to racism 
are merely CRT and should be quickly rejected. So a wiser approach, in my opinion, is found somewhere in the middle that validates that racism is in fact a sin and it is a problem and it's devastating and its consequences to people personally and to societies. But we do need to understand that the worldly answers of anti-racism in the form of CRT are not beneficial and they are indeed in existence and very popular and very deceptive because even the church is embracing these ideas and these solutions. So we need to be aware first and foremost that there's two responses that are happening right now to this movement. All right. So let's just talk a little bit more about CRT. I gave you a definition of it that it is about power structure, and that is the solution that they're offering. And in fact, many of the anti-racist uh, solutions that come out of CRT. But the end goal, the end goal of critical race theory, listen to this, it's an egalitarian utopia of societal justice through the priority of equity and outcome. Equity and outcomes, not just a commitment to equal opportunity. Okay. So, and the way they want to accomplish these e equity of outcome is through the dismantling of social power structures. Okay. So, this is not just limited to racial prejudice and policies, but it also reaches into all spheres of perceived oppression. This is important. This is why I said it's bigger than just race. Critical race theory comes out of Marxism. It comes out of uh, critical theory in general. So and listen to this. CRT, critical race theory, what it does is it divides society into social binaries, okay, along a line of the identity markers in race, class, gender, sexuality, and religion. Okay, so a person will either fall into the category of the oppressed or the oppressor. There's two groups. It's a binary. It's a social binary. So this is what they're attempting to do. They're dividing everyone in race, class, gender, sexuality, and religion to whether you are a majority oppressor or a or in the oppressed group. Okay, this is your immutable social location that you have no control over. Okay, and if you fall into more than one of these groups, so if you are a female, if you are a female who is also a person of color, a black person, then you fall into two, uh, two locations oppressed locations or intersections. That is intersectionality. The more locations you fall into in the oppressed, oppressed group, then you will get more oppressor points awarded. Okay, so this idea um, is really important to understand. Um, and also in CRT, um, many definitions, common definitions um, that we would, if we looked up, uh, looked the, the definitions up, um, they are not the same. So they have been hijacked. It's called linguistic theft. This is a, uh, a common practice of the progressive woke movement, um, that you take a, a common understood meaning of a word and you change it. And, and most people don't even understand. This is why it's so important um, to be careful to search out the intended meaning of words that are being shared and discussed. So uh, words such as racism and oppression have been intentionally redefined. Um, the, the term whiteness no longer refers to a lack of melanin in the skin, but is defined by CRT, by the anti-racist movement, as a system of oppression, power structures created to exert power. It's important to remember and to know that we're not just talking about somebody that doesn't have skin melanin in their skin. We're talking about a system. We're talking about a power structure. 
And often these structures, they're not necessarily explicit and obvious. Okay. So yes, back in the days of shadow slavery and Jim Crow, that was very obvious. Right now, the system of whiteness, the system of oppression, these things are more subtle. This new racism as being now defined differently suggests that the oppression is no longer about coercion and violence, but listen to this. It's implicit ideas that are deeply embedded within um, and that shape our society. Okay. In the state of whiteness, a person will fail to recognize these biases. So if you're like, I don't see, I don't see it. I don't recognize it. Well, it's because um, you are living in this state of whiteness and you are acting out in a state of white fragility, failing to see and admit that those things are there and that they're taking place. So it's really important that we understand what they mean when they say whiteness, what they mean when they say white fragility. Okay, so what about the term racism? According to CRT, according to uh, the, the anti-racist movement, racism is not seen as merely a sinful attitude of the heart that results in harmful actions or policies or whatever. It is, racism is a product of whiteness, okay? Racism is a product of whiteness. The unchangeable social location that I talked about earlier, you know, you're on those binaries, you're either oppressor or oppressor. So it's the unchangeable, immutable social location and the system of power and privilege one is born into due to the color of one's skin and the chromosomes of one's DNA. Okay. <laughs> whiteness is not a state of the heart. It's not a sinful out of the heart. It is a social location. Whiteness is deemed the cardinal sin. Okay. Whiteness is a state of racial advantage that must be divested, removed, and repented of. There is an urgent and immediate need to be woke or liberated from these internalized oppressive beliefs and behaviors that are often, listen to this, unstated, undefinable, unnamed, and unmarked cultural practices. And only those in the oppressed group on that, that binary, that social binary, have the conscious awareness of these harmful conditions. Bodhi Bochum has termed this ethnic Gnosticism, a special knowledge. That's what this is, a Gnostic belief that is special, mysteri mysterious, kind of unnamed knowledge that they have, um, wokeness, conscious awareness that they have um, because they are in the oppressed group. It's a unique insight. Um, they have the street credibility. They have the street cred. Everyone should be listening to them. Everybody should be taking a backseat and listening and learning. Um, anybody else's thoughts, uh, no matter how factually based, and in fact, facts and statistics are considered oppressive, but we'll get into that later. But they, they should not be heard and they are not helpful. Um, in fact, if you have a differing opinion than the oppressed group, even though you are part of the oppressed by social location, you should not be a voice to be listened to. You should not be a voice to be heeded because you are internalizing, listen to this, you are internalizing your oppression. Now, I want to make sure this is really clear, you guys. As a Christian, we should absolutely listen to people that have different experiences than us, different lived experiences, and learn from that. We should. That's loving. That's kind. It's, it's, uh, it is understandable and wise. It's logical to do that. We should acknowledge and value different 
lived experiences and learn from them. We don't, none of us have this all figured out. (laughs) Um, That is called humility. That is called love. But by no means, by no means does any one particular group um, have a better understanding of truth, the word of God. That is the, the word of God is the final authority. The word of God is truth. Okay. There, no one person group apart from the Holy Spirit can possibly become infallible interpreters of truth and certainly of scripture or even our own lived experiences. There's no, there's not an infallibility there. So it's interesting because in postmodernism, we know that there's a rejection of objective truth. Okay. Everyone has their own truth. Everybody has, uh, you know, your truth is different than my truth. That's fine. We should just accept everyone's own truth, except if you think that that scripture is the final authority and truth. Well, then that's something that we should reject. And I guess that is a truth (laughs) to hold to, but Unlike many postmodern worldviews, CRT actually does acknowledge that truth exists, but their truth is determined through the experience and perception of the oppressed over any objective facts, science, or statistics, which are actually seen as whiteness. They favor whiteness and they are complicit with a racist culture. All right. So experience and perception are far more truth-based than facts or statistics, no matter who is giving them. Um, The other thing is CRT assumes that all people buy into white supremacy and heteronormativity. We all, this is what they assume, we all hold to a racist worldview, even if we're not aware Um, You may have heard the term standpoint epistemology. If you haven't, standpoint epistemology is the idea that access and understanding of truth is based on an individual's social location. Like I said, whether they're an oppressor or part of the oppressed group. Um, And so that's a term also that we need to understand. Uh, When an oppressed person does not agree, like I said earlier, or has an opposing view, to CRT and anti-racism, they are actually unfortunately internalizing their oppression. So again, in an attempt to dismantle the systems of power, individuals must agree to do the work of anti-racism. That is the point. That is the push. (laughs) It is not enough to be a non-racist. It's not enough to raise your hand and say, I love other people of color. And I love different nationalities and ethnicities that are different than mine. I don't view them any differently. I don't think of them as inferior to my race. Um, It is not enough just to to say that or believe it. You are complicit, according to CRT in anti-racism, you are complicit if you are not actively fighting against it. So, what is the fight? What are, what are we supposed to be doing? What is anti-racism? Um, so in, in a lot of these books, a lot of these resources will lie, like they will tell you, do this, 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 and this. This is how you become an anti-racist. And so they, it, they, they push this new moralism onto you that basically, in a sense, is saying the gospel is not enough. You also need to do these things. Um, and as I said, as Christians, we may agree, uh, that racism is a sin. We understand that we believe it and we should want to fight against it. That's biblical and that's good. But according to anti-racism and CRT, the problem isn't, is, you know, isn't just the deep rooted and destructive problem of sin or the need to apply biblical principles of justice, God's justice to broken laws and policies because they don't align with scripture. But here's the problem. I'm going to say it again. It's about institutional power structures needing a complete reformation. 
there's a reformation that needs to happen. Equity of outcome. So the intended aim, the intended goal here, the bigger picture that we need to be aware of when we start adopting these principles and these worldly secular systems to to fight against sin, the intended outcome they're pushing for is in a utopian, equitable society that in fact would not be just or equitable. It cannot happen apart from tyranny and the inevitable, this is what would happen. There would be an inevitable reversal or inverting of racism through the oppressor oppressed groups. And this is not biblical unity. This is not what we as Christians know should be the end goal that would be biblical and Christ honoring and good for our brothers and sisters and for ourselves. So according to Kendi in How to Be an Anti-Racist, anti-racism offers a new way to see the world. Listen to this, listen to this. Offers a new way to see the world in which privilege is the original sin, systems of power are the enemy, activism is atonement, and equity is the new heaven and earth. Now, although I wouldn't say Kendi is claiming to be a Christian by any sense or offer gospel solutions, as you can see, there is a complete lack of Christian concepts such as sin, redemption, forgiveness, and grace. That's a problem as a Christ follower. We would expect this of the world, but we are not of the world. We're in the world. We're not of the world. We have a whole different worldview as as a Christian. This worldview is indeed a new religion as it answers basic questions that all religions attempt to answer. For instance, okay, CRT as a worldview, anti-racism as a worldview, answers the question, who am I and what is my identity? According to anti-racism, we are either in an oppressed or an oppressor group. That's our identity. But according to Christianity, we are a person made in the image of God, a sinner in need of a savior, a child of God who has been adopted as a son or daughter and into the family of God, Genesis 1, 27. The second question that is answered, which makes it a quote unquote religion, is what is gender? All right. According to CRT, according to anti-racism and our culture, In today's culture, gender is fluid. It is what a person decides it should be or desires it to become, not according to the chromosomes that God created you to have that make you a male or female. In scripture, we see that God created man and woman, male and female, Matthew 19, 14. Totally different, totally opposite. And then the the final question that is answered that makes this, in a sense, a new religion is what is truth. With anti-racism, truth is based on your social location. A person is either woke and has truth or is blinded depending on the group within which one falls. Jesus said, however, that he is the truth, that he is the way, that he is the life, that no man comes to the father apart from him. John 14, 6, and that the truth of the gospel message, Christ coming to take the place of sinners so that we can be redeemed, that gospel message is what sets one free. That's what liberates John 8, 8, 32. We know that the Bible does not give specific commands regarding political parties, policies, or philosophies. However, We do know that we should certainly reject all ideas that conflict with a biblical worldview. In Colossians 2.8, Paul reminds us, listen to this. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition according to the elemental spirits of the world and not according 
to Christ. We have to be extremely cautious as believers not to quickly take hold of worldly ideas that fail to align, as we established earlier, with scripture and the gospel. The world's going to do what the world's going to do. It's fulfilling its job description. But as Christians, I'm speaking to you as a professed follower of Christ who upholds the authority and inerrancy and accuracy of scripture to be very careful in adopting these solutions and frameworks. And listen, many Christians believe and churches that they are rejecting the secular and political framework of CRT, but they continue, this is important, they continue to embrace a kind of similar spin-off approach known as social justice or the social justice gospel. This social justice gospel aims to create unity around the same dogmatic ideas and solutions of anti-racism instead of, or maybe in addition to, the central theological truths of the gospel. It is difficult to apply CRT principles to biblical Christianity, though many churches are trying to do that and implement aspects of this framework because they want to be compassionate. They want to have a solution to racism and injustice. And the heart is there. It's in the right place. I really, truly believe that. And many of us, because we don't understand the dangers of this framework, we're falling into the same thing. We want to help. We want to make a difference. We want to be salt and light and compassionate in the hands and feet of Christ, like I said. But it is so sad that many churches would go so far to say that a church that is unwilling to adopt a social justice ministry in the form of anti-racism with these CRT elements, that they are not even preaching a true gospel. And they're suggesting that whiteness is such a unique sin that one must be woke to and intentionally and constantly renounced and continually repented from. Rather than simply addressing racism as a sin of the heart, a grievous sin of the heart at that, but it needs to be transformed through the power of the gospel. And that is enough. There doesn't need to be more work done. In a real sense, it is a new form of moralism. Gospel plus works. The anti-racist work. Now, what I'm not saying is that we should just throw the, the idea of the gospel up and say, well, gospel, all's forgiven, done. The gospel is what actually transforms us so that we see and understand and repent that racism is real. It's an abhorrent sin against another imager of God. Racism can cause unimaginable pain and injustice. And there is uh, an outflow of a changed heart, a transformed heart that will do things to make unity with Christ and, and work for justice to be done. There's spiritual and physical work to be done as an outflow of a transformed heart. But the answer isn't the answer of anti-racism or CRT. What is the biblical answer? How should we respond as Christians? Well, first and foremost, as Christians, we know that we are culpable for our sin, not our skin. I'm going to say it again. As Christians, we know that we are culpable for our sin, not our skin. Sin is a spiritual problem in need of a spiritual solution. We have to. There is no unity if we are not first reconciled with God. It says in 2 Corinthians 5.21 that believers have been given the ministry of reconciliation. Let me read that to you because this verse has been plucked out of context. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. 
That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting us to the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him, we might become the righteousness of God. 2 Corinthians 5, 17 through 21. As you can see, the message and aim of reconciliation is to God through Jesus. That is the ministry of reconciliation, not racial reconciliation. This verse has been plucked out of context to say, see, we've been given the, the uh, ministry of racial reconciliation. Racial reconciliation in the form of biblical unity, this is important, listen, is the outflow of unity and reconciliation with God, which is the ministry we have been given for ourselves to be reconciled with God and to help others become reconciled with God. And this vertical relationship with God will then in turn affect the horizontal. We are reconciled with one another. We have peace with one another. When we receive Christ's perfect righteousness on our behalf, so he became sin, who was no sin, so that we could become the righteousness of God. We have a restored relationship. We have a position of, the position of Christ now becomes ours. Positional righteousness with the Father because When God looks at us, he sees Christ. It's unbelievable. It is so much grace there. And this positional righteousness then becomes practical righteousness as we become more and more like Christ through spiritual growth, the knowledge of him, renewal through his word. This is sanctification. Okay, so the outflow of positional righteousness with the Father, reconciliation with God, then becomes the outflow of practical righteousness that causes peace and unity with one another as we grow more and more like Christ. The more we become close with Christ, the more we become one and unified with one another. It cannot happen apart from a transformed heart. It is merely forced. We are transformed through the power of, and fruit of the Holy Spirit as he renews our minds through the word of God, that gift of his word, trades our stony, blind hearts for new, woke hearts that long for holiness and the desire to grow in the depths of knowledge and love of God. This is natural transformation that happens as the gospel impacts our lives. As we turn and follow Jesus, sin will be repented of. It should. That's part of the process of following Christ, of giving him our life, that we repent of our sin, all of it, racism included, prejudice included, and we turn from it. And then God changes us from the inside out. We will have new desires. It's a gift of God, a new desire that will long to do these things to advocate for the poor and the marginalized, to sacrificially share our resources, to help the oppressed and to seek justice. This is much different than moralism, than a forced power structure reversal or wealth distribution like Marxism is or a tyrannical, tyrannically induced equity of outcomes, which cannot happen apart from tyranny. It is the natural movement of generosity and love that flows from the bottom up and the inside out and not from the top down, not from power structures down and from the outside in as a forced way of doing the work of anti-racism. It's the opposite. The gospel is anti-racist and it is transformational. Transformational is powerful but is not anti-racism in the modern sense. The secular frameworks that are trying to find some answer. It is in fact the opposite. 
It is real change that addresses spiritual problems with spiritual answers. What we need is for Jesus and his blood to cover us. We can rest assured that his work on the cross is sufficient to cover sin and reconcile us with the Father. And our restored and right relationship with God should cause us to love others well, to seek justice for the oppressed, to provide for the suffering, the poor, and the outcast. We love because he first loved us. We give because he has given. We comfort because he has comforted. We share our resources because we know they are not ours to hoard. This is the true gospel. Pride, prejudice, racism should be condemned. It is fought against through the life-transforming work of the Holy Spirit and the hope of the gospel. Monique Dessen from the Center for Biblical Unity, you should check her out. It's a fantastic resource. She speaks uh, on all of these things. She said this, I thought it was so good. The opposite of racism is not anti-racism, but the opposite of racism is righteousness. God does not separate us by whether our skin has color, but whether our sin has been covered. He sees us as redeemed or unredeemed. He does not accept us based on the melanin in our skin, but the atonement of our sin. He doesn't accept us based on the melanin in our skin, but the atonement of our sin. If whiteness must be continually repented and made reparation for, then the cross is inadequate. In this anti-racist system and with these solutions, there will never be unity. Only continued confusion, frustration, and division. Forced love is not real. It's not gospel. It's not spirit-led. It's manufactured tyranny, and there is no unity apart from the gospel. So how can we live out the gospel? First and foremost, we have to start by becoming reconciled with God. It says in 1 John 1, 9, if we confess of our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and purify us from all unrighteousness. When we trust Christ as Lord, he becomes the provision on our behalf and the payment for our sin. He will redeem and save us. That is good news. That is the gospel. It's got to start there. Also, we must search our own hearts and take self-inventory. That's important. That's important. I don't think sometimes we understand the depths of our sin. Jesus was always trying to double down on that, saying it's not just the act. It's what's brooding in our hearts. Psalms 139, 23 through 24 says, search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts and see if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. We may have prejudices and racist thoughts that we don't even realize. There is truth to that. There is truth that some of these things can be subtle. And we should reflect on the state of our heart and confess and repent. We should actively engage in difficult conversations with those who are different than us. There's a lot to learn there, different perspectives and lived experiences. We should be open to their feedback and opinions on things that maybe we don't have as much experience in or understand serve and give preference to other and all others in all things Romans 12:10 says aiming at all times to preserve the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace in love without coercion Ephesians 4:3 says these are all outflows of a heart that is seeking peace and oneness because of the cross of Christ thirdly we should act on our beliefs and values If there are policies or laws that should be changed to align with biblical values, we should take the steps to advocate for those, just like we would for abortion. We should be motivated to share our resources if they are in abundance and look for opportunities to engage with and provide aid for disadvantaged situations, communities, schools, through our local churches and our neighborhoods and communities, through sports teams and work opportunities. There are so many different Um, opportunities to serve and love and be the hands and feet of Christ. As the spirit works within us, the outflow should be a life ready to give and respond in love and good deeds. 
not to check boxes and moral codes of anti-racism, not to reverse power structures and force equity of outcomes, but to be the hands, like I said, the hands and feet of our savior. As we've been reconciled with God, we should aim to bring others into that same restored relationship and live on mission, live on mission to, to share the gospel and to have peace with one another, to live that love out. This is the essence of biblical unity and our greatest hope for change. Unity is impossible through the methods and mandates of the world. Political parties, even leaders or policies, as great as they can be or as harmful and dangerous as they can be. Unity, as the Hebrew defines it actually in the word, is oneness that is only possible through Jesus Christ and the cross. Galatians 3.28 says, and I'm going to leave it at this, there is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Only at the foot of the cross are all genders, nationalities, ethnicities, equally sinful and equally loved. Only in Jesus do we have the capacity to love, serve, and live out the impossible and undeserved love that allows unity to become a reality. Thank you for listening today. I hope you found the conversation encouraging and helpful. If you did, whether on YouTube or podcast, would you mind hitting the like button, subscribing, or sharing the episode with your friends on social media or through email? This will help get the word out so we can reach even more listeners with the gospel. As always, remember to love God, learn truth, and live transformed. The gospel changes everything. Thank you.